0: Well, we are starting, um, continuing on with our Exodus series, and uh, just to give you a recap of what we talked about the the previous couple of weeks is our first week we looked at chapters 1 and 2 where the Egyptians were enslaved, and they found themselves in a world uh, full of evil, and they found themselves with people all around them that were Uh, you know, oppressing them and difficulty and strife, and they cried out to God, uh, and God begins to move towards helping them become free. Uh, Moses, kind of the main character in the book of Exodus, uh, we hear about his story as well in the first couple chapters, where he is rescued from uh, death and is brought out of the river, and, and God works in his life in amazing ways. But Moses um, kills a man, flees, and it was there last week where we, uh, Tim did a great job talking about um, that encounter that Moses had at the burning bush where God calls Moses to respond to what he's doing and to help uh, bring people um, uh, into freedom. And so that's kind of where our story picks up today. So we are in Exodus chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses one through nine. Um, the words aren't going to come up on the screen today. we're in our cafe style. I don't even know if you'd be able to read them uh, because our screen's so small, but we have Bibles there. There may be another one laying around there. Be friendly, uh, share it. but um, hopefully during our our time during this uh, you'll have a chance to Maybe write down a few notes and bring your own Bible if you'd like. It's always helpful for me to have my own Bible because I can make a little note there, and then it's there, and it makes me look like I know what um, – uh, I'm very sophisticated. When you open it up another time in the future and you had a note there already, wow, that's a good day. you know. <laughs> and, and everybody else can be like, wow, look at the notes that that person has. That's spectacular. Check this out. Uh, I got the little uh, uh, Bible with the notes on the side. Doesn't that make me just seem like a little more put together, just that little note right there? Okay, Um, so uh, Exodus chapter 5, and um, here is what happens when Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Um, God instructed Moses to say, go and ask for three days where they could leave and they could worship God and make sacrifices to God, even though ultimately, uh, as the story already said, is this will be something that leads towards their ultimate freedom. But they asked for three days. Pharaoh said in verse two, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and will not let Israel go. Interesting, direct statement that Pharaoh makes, right? I don't know him. So why should I listen to this? Verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword." But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you uh, taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look at the people of the land, how numerous, um, are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That's what every boss says, right? That same day, Pharaoh gave his order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Uh, Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So... Uh, Pharaoh believes that uh, Moses is coming up with the ultimate call in sick excuse. God wants me to go sacrifice. Don't try that with your boss. Uh, verse 19. This is how the Israelites respond to the fact that Pharaoh is uh, inflicting even more pain on them. If their life wasn't hard enough as slaves already, Now they have to deal with more difficulty, get more straw, and still meet the quota. This is the response that the Israelites have. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are to not reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet him. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious. To Pharaoh and his officials and put a sword in their hand to kill us. So we'll just pause there. But um, think about this moment. And this is an interesting challenge that I think all of us might face at some point in your life. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. And in this particular case, things Get quite a bit worse. You wouldn't think people who are enslaved, who have a miserable life, who have been uh, really in this predicament for nearly 400 years, uh, generation after generation, now things are worse. And they thought and they believed, like, well, maybe Moses has a plan, maybe God has a plan, maybe this might be good. And so they are a little bit hopeful about the road that it's going down. And then this is the end result. And they're pretty ticked off at Moses and Aaron. They're pretty ticked off in this moment saying, what have you done? You've made it obnoxious to Pharaoh. You've made our life harder. I wish you would have just like kind of kept out of it. Yeah, our life is miserable, but now it is worse. I think there are moments in time where it gets worse before it gets better. And that is, that is tough. It's tough to deal with because you think directly that maybe even you're following the path God has for you, but it gets worse instead of getting better. This past week, um, because it's summer break and because I'm this kind of parent, Uh, Got flies uh, flying around. Have you seen the moss all around too? You know what that is? We're going to get to the plagues today. And we (laughs) did that just to give you a more visual illustration of – never mind. Okay. um, So this past week, uh, uh, as it is the first week of summer break, I normally – you know, there's a day or two. let the kids kind of hang out, not do anything, watch a little TV. And then I'm like, all right, enough of this uh, laying about. It's time to get down to business. So I have some chores for my extra chores for my kids to do and my daughter's room is famously messy. And so I said, Riley, today before you turn on any technology, before you do anything else, you got to clean that room. It's a disaster, okay? And so my daughter started to clean a room. Well, it, I thought it was messy at first, but, about an hour into it, when I went in to check in on her, um, it was about forty times worse than it was before um, that and that is a uh, direct mathematical formula that I came up with i mean it was It was like there was you know maybe ten percent of floor space was covered before when she started going through and trying to organize things in her closet and things in her like room and stuff like that, it was like zero floor space available um, at all. And I was like, this is insane. And I was like, I don't know if this will ever work. I think we have to move. I think we're just going to have to like uh, move and hopefully we get a good offer on the terrible room. We'll put a little caution sign up and we're, it's just like it's never going to recover. But that is sometimes the moments that we feel like we're in, okay? Is we try to make a change in our life. Like things are going, but they're not great, and we try to make a change. we try to make an alteration. We try to follow something different that God is doing in our life, and sometimes it's worse. Sometimes it gets harder. Sometimes there's like that soreness after a workout that like results as we make a movement or a change in our life, and the temptation, just like the Israelites, is to just get discouraged and tired. And that's what the scripture says that they were. They were discouraged and tired and they were mad at what was going on. They were mad that like things were worse. Things did not get much better. And there's many moments in time. And I think it's, it's a part of and the reason why it's really important that we're reading through the book of Exodus. That we see the journey is many times years and years and, and even generations and generations long, that this is how things go. And sometimes there's seasons where it's hard, and you hear about the promise of God that you know they're they're still maybe clinging to that was said back 400 years ago with Abraham that I will bring you to a promised land. But it still hasn't taken place. What in the world with the people who lived between the time of Joseph, who was the first one in kind of Egypt, and Moses? They went generation and generation where God had made a promise, but they just toiled and struggled in labor their entire life. And there's still the promise wasn't fulfilled that is really hard for us to grasp, and it's very hard for us in our culture to grasp because we typically hate to wait for anything. Well, we are doing our cafe services, and I want to give you a moment to kind of reflect on this. And so, like I said earlier, you don't have to say anything, but I just want to do a a quick little uh, talk back at your tables, and I want you to think about what, what do you hate? waiting for. I know what mine is but what do you hate waiting for? It can be very trivial. I'll tell you mine just to get it started. Mine is the grocery line, okay? Mine is Walmart grocery line. Uh, I don't feel like I'm wealthy enough to go to King Supers because it's like $50 more for my groceries and I just can't deal with that mentally but the lines at Walmart, I can't, I, I almost some days I would pay the extra 50 bucks to not go through the Walmart line. What is it in your life that you hate waiting for? Go ahead and around your table. I'll just give you a minute. What do you hate waiting for? Well, we all hate waiting for something. And I think in our culture in particular, uh, we are really bad at this. But this is... The the moment, and this is the time that these people find themselves in. So how do you respond to that? What do you do? Um, Let's continue on. And I want to read, starting now in verse 22 of chapter 5. Kind of how God responds to the people's response. So, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? That's a pretty bold thing to say to God, right, Moses? Um, uh, Is this why you sent me? Maybe you've responded to God in that way after a prayer request. Seems like it has not gone answered. God, is this this the plan? Is this your answer? I thought you were leading me in this direction. This is how it's going to go? And so Moses has a very honest... Uh, response in that way ever since i went to pharaoh to speak in your name he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all then the lord said to moses now you will see what i will do to pharaoh because of my mighty hand he will let them go because of my mighty hand he will drive them out of his country god also said to moses i am the lord I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they reside as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have re- remembered my covenant. That's the covenant that we referred to earlier, that they will get, be given a promised land. And they will be a blessing for not only them, but the whole world through the person of Jesus. Verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arms, and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to them because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So very interesting, and this passage is such a powerful restatement of God's promises and covenants to the nation of Israel. It really is. It's really like a great sermon speech, motivational thing that God is giving the people, like This encouraging moment, I know it's hard. I know you're struggling. I know the answer has not come yet, but I am the Lord. It will come to pass. What I said is going to happen, and this is how it's going to happen. And this, you can take it to the bank. You can trust. You can rely on me. Sometimes we have to be okay with just trusting in that promise. Trusting that what God says will be. Trusting that what God has promised to us will be. There are times where that is what we get. We get that promise and we get that hope. That's the the answer. Sometimes the answer to our problems and struggles in this world, we live in a sinful world world with lots of pain, lots of difficulty, lots of struggle. We have physical limitations. All of these things. Sometimes the answer is, I am the Lord. Trust me. And that's it. And maybe that's frustrating. And, and it can be frustrating. And it's understandable that Moses comes to him and says, that's it. This is it. This is the answer. This is all we're going to be doing. But sometimes that is it. Sometimes we have to look forward to God ultimately saying that in the end, in the afterlife, all will be made right. But God is going to do something here and now in this time and in this place, but it hasn't been made known yet. Um, but I think we all have to come to a grips and with an understanding that ultimately God has promised us, That there is forgiveness, there is life after death, there is healing, there is going to be that moment of redemption, but maybe not yet. Maybe we do have to struggle through. And as we look at the world and we look at people suffering all around the world, we have to remember that that is a reality for many people that is far worse than us. And when we read stories about people enslaved for year after year, we have to remember that and come to grips with that a little bit and realize that even though there is injustice currently taking place, that ultimately, God will make things just in the end. It's interesting, kind of the dichotomy we put God in and we can relate to Moses is we expect immediate justice, but the result of that justice sometimes we even like cringe at as well we want god to take care of all of our enemies but like man some as the next chapters unfold we may say wow god like why did this take place um next week and i'm going to get into kind of the the plagues that follow this passage in a moment But um, next week, I'm going to get more into this question that is a very legitimate, real question. Why does the Old Testament seem so bloody, so violent, so awful, and all of these things? And why does the tone of the Old Testament seem so much different than the tone of the New Testament? I am going to talk about that in more detail next week. There is a a book that I'm rereading that if this is a big question for you, I would recommend. It's called, Is God a Moral Monster? That is, Making Sense of the Old Testament God. Where it goes into detail and in saying, this seems like a cra- lots of crazy stories that don't seem to add up to a good God. And so, um, there, I will get into it in brief ne- more next week, but if you want more question, uh, answers on that, I, I recommend this, and there's lots of other resources out there as well. But sometimes we put God in this place where we say, I want absolute freedom. I don't want to be told what to do, but I God, I want you to take care of all these other people that, are, that with their freedom are causing pain and injustice and all these things. One thing that I think we need to remember very clearly that is a thread all throughout scripture and people of faith need to be very keenly aware of this is that God does not take kindly to injustice, okay? God does not take kindly to injustice and particularly people who are vulnerable and oppressed, God has like some very severe uh, feelings towards those oppressors, And in any way in our life, when we have any kind of authority or influence or power, we need to be very cautious and very thoughtful about how we use that. Because God consistently over and over gives great compassion to the most vulnerable people in society and in the scripture. And when people are being enslaved, when people are being uh, uh, marginalized, God's judgment is really particular and we'll get into that here right now. But I want to take a pause and I want you to ask yourself this question around your table. What injustice that you see in your world makes you angry? What are the injustices and maybe it's things for yourself that we are like, I wish things were different. Maybe it's things you see in the news. But what is it that like, really makes your blood boil? What injustice does that? Go ahead and take a moment to discuss that around your table. We're going to press on. So um, in chapter 7, uh, God's answer is swift and it is direct. And this is where it gets a little challenging. And to be quite frank... Um, these passages are hard for me to preach about, and it's hard for me to talk about. Um, but like I said, next week I'm going to delve more into like the, the, the reality of the violence of what is going to follow in the books um, or in the chapters that follow. But in chapter 7, um, God, uh, through Moses, warns the Pharaoh that if he does not... Let the people go that there are going to be plagues that befall the Egyptian people. And he's given warning. He's given chances. You've already heard his response. You've seen that first encounter that Moses has with the Pharaoh where Moses is like, give us three days off. And he says, how about, how about, some no, how about no straw? How does that sound? Um, you, want, you, you want three days off? You just pull landscaping duty. That's what, um, that's what the Pharaoh said. Uh, I, that's in a different translation, I believe. But um, he ups the ante, obviously, is ready for the fight. When Moses comes back and says, it's going to get ugly for you if you don't listen to God. Fighting a battle against the I am, the creator of the universe, is not a good place to be. Oppressing people is not a good place to be. And it's going to get ugly. But time after time, every single occasion, Moses gives direct, clear warnings that this is your choice and consequences will follow. But this is what unfolds. And maybe you have seen it depicted in movies or other things. The famous ten plagues of Egypt. We're not going to read through it because it's the next three chapters. Actually, uh, five chapters. But what we're going to cover today and talk about is is the first nine plagues. And next week, we'll talk about the final tenth plague that befalls the Egyptians. But what happens is, is these series... Of Moses coming, warning that's gonna exactly what's gonna happen, Pharaoh saying, Bring it on, in so many words, and the plague following up and affecting the Egyptians and not affecting the Israelites. The first one is the water of the Nile turning to blood, the second one is God sending, it is frogs that just overtake the area. The third one is gnats. The fourth one is flies. The fifth one is a plague upon livestock where livestock uh, dies. Uh, The sixth one is these boils or sores that break out on people um, and uh, the remaining animals. Then there is hail mixed with fire. Then there is locusts. And the ninth one is darkness that covers the land for three days. Now there's a couple of Different. There's many different interpretations that I think is just worth noting, but it's not something that is like you have to like definitely go on this side or the other. But there's many people that have dissected and thought about this, even in relation to um, the time period and, and what is going on in nature and all these different things. There are um, some people that have given kind of a natural explanation Explanation for the sequence of plagues that took place, following possibly a volcano in the region. There was a couple of volcanic eruptions in that era. One in Greece, another one in another place. But there was there was one of the most severe uh, volcanic eruptions in modern day um, that they say might be related to this. But it's not necessarily 100% sure. It could be. That there was a series of natural events that led to all of these plagues in succession. God could have done it in that way. Or God, the I am, the creator of the universe, could do it in a supernatural way. I'm open to either interpretation. But kind of how the flow, if it was something that was natural occurrences that happened in sequence, is that there is, seems to be, a flow to the pattern of how these things unfold. That, that the water turning to blood could have been an algae thing that happened um, as a result of uh, uh, volcanic eruptions around the area. That could have resulted in frogs coming out and like covering the land. That could um, – uh, and after those frogs uh, died, it could result in massive bugs like gnats and flies that resulted – um, and many of these flies and bugs uh, carry disease that could have affected the livestock, which happened next. Um, and then there is another explanation that I wasn't quite sure about or uh, didn't quite comprehend or understand that The livestock death could lead to another other viruses that could cause uh, boils or skin diseases. Um, the hail could be a result of hail, but also more volcanic ash coming down. Um, and uh, there is then locust, which has happened in uh, multiple places, uh, that has wiped out areas and also could be a cause of some of the darkness um, that could The locust could either create the darkness, or the locust could eat everything to where there's dust and dust storms, and it could create three days of darkness. So there could be a natural explanation to the sequence of events that took place. Okay. But that's not necessarily, you know, uh, if either of those um, could be a potential explanation for those things, but it's, it, it also is God moving and doing something. The God that rose from the dead, the God that created the universe. Sometimes maybe we think, how could these things take place? But if we believe that God created and God rose, God can do things like this as well. And God could do them in different ways. Um, I tend um, uh, to also lean towards a um, a point of view where I tend to uh, view things in a natural perspective. That is kind of my tendency because my default is that because I've heard people use the latest tornado as a reason that like God is judging a particular neighborhood or place or something like that. And sometimes it directly relates back to passages of Scripture like this. And I find that to be really troubling and really problematic to think about these things in this way. But I do believe, ultimately, God is in control of everything. And God has allowed, in this world, for there to be things that cause suffering and death. God has allowed that to exist. God has not eradicated that. God has not eliminated that. God has said, you will be limited. There will be a time where you will die and you are a mortal being. And in the afterlife, things will be different. And this is all related to the fallen sinful world that we live in. So I default to the explanation That this is generally a world full of evil, and all of us face that consequence one time or another to different varying degrees, and this is the world we're in. But I don't discount the possibility of these things, and that's something that we have to wrestle with, and we have to – it kind of challenges me a little bit to think about these plagues coming upon these people. Um. And we'll talk, like I said, more about it next week. A second little thing that, that, you may, um, that may be helpful in thinking about all these plagues is also uh, there's different people that have theorized that these plagues had a direct message, particular message, and were tied to some of the gods of Egypt, some of those gods that they worshipped. The Egyptians worshipped, uh, there was like 2,000 different deities. That they worshipped multiple deity. And this is what it was based on. You heard the Pharaoh say, I don't know that god. He knew a lot of gods though. And they had tons of different gods. And some people have uh, theorized and wrote, written papers about how these particular things directly um, counteracted the different gods of the Egyptians. You know, that the frogs was uh, particular fighting back against one of those particular gods, demonstrating that God is I am and these other gods are false gods, directly um, showing that to the Egyptians. And that is also possible as well. But those are things that people have thought about and contemplated when looking at this story. But ultimately, what we have to look at, and ultimately what we have to realize is that there. That God is the I am. And God intervenes in this moment. And bad, bad things take place. And that there is a direct message that is taking place. That the God who is the creator of life, also in these moments, uh, demonstrates judgment and demonstrates that there will be a clear path that takes place moving forward. And so these plagues... Um, Follow. Um, So whether um, and this is uh, in verse 13 of chapter seven, this is kind of the refrain that we hear over and over throughout um, all of these encounters that the Pharaoh has. Is In verse 13, after uh, Moses gives him the first kind of warning before the first plague starts, he says, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to him, just as the Lord had said. Time and time again, he says, he's warned bad things are going to take place. And he says, no. He's warned bad things are going to take place. He says, no, you can't go. And they play this game uh, in succession 10 different times over and over and over. There is a reality, and this is something that we have to deal with. There is a reality that people in our world that we deal with, that sometimes even have influence over us, will say no to God over and over and over. And there is evil, and there is injustice, and there is people that will inflict harm on us and others. And God intervenes in this moment, and God is directly uh, giving warning and opportunity for Pharaoh to stop, to spare his people, and time and time again, he does not. Um, And so I think it's important for us to, to be very aware that God gives everyone, and I believe this with my whole heart 100%, God gives everyone a chance. I believe God gives everyone an opportunity. God gives everyone to listen. God gives everyone an opportunity to say, you are God and you are in control. And the reality is, sometimes people will say no. The reality is, there's been times in my life that I've said no. Not to this degree not to this you know kind of global thing that is happening that is a major movement in all of human history that is setting up the whole scripture so it's obviously a dramatic unique circumstance but there are times in my life where I have a direct path where I can follow and I tell God no and the results of that will be pain the results of that will be challenge, difficulty, uh, destruction sometimes in my life, in relationships, and in other people's lives. And that is something that we all can see around us, but we have to come to grips with. That really the evil in this world, the things that are going on in this world, are a result of people saying no to God's path. And we're in the middle of a period of time in in the scope of eternity that is really kind of small, where in in this period of time, we are in the middle of the consequences of saying no to God, other people saying no to God, and even us saying no to God. And evil and pain and violence and death and destruction are the result. But God is doing something, and God is redeeming. I can't get my mind around the fact that it takes so stinking long, but we still live in that world. We still live in that world that is facing and dealing with the groaning and the consequences of sin, and we're still awaiting God's full redemption one day. But this is what takes place. I, you know, it's interesting in our world, and I don't want to make direct correlations. So understand, um, this is an analogy, not a direct correlation to what's going on here in Scripture. But there's multiple times in history, human history, where where people have been faced with similar decisions. And you know what? As sometimes naive people, we wish that we could just say hey, you know what, people in the Middle East, or hey, you know what, evil dictator, can you just stop doing those mean things, please? And stop killing other people? Can you just stop that, please? And can we all just get along? There are moments in time all throughout history where people say no. And that is troubling and difficult. But there's moments in time in our country, and I'm not making a statement on the justification, right or wrong on this, But our country, at one point in time in World War II, decided to drop giant bombs that killed hundreds of thousands of people to say, enough is enough. We are not going to continue to allow uh, thousands and even millions of people to be innocently killed. And we're going to take an action that is swift and dramatic and painful, and there will be death that results. That is tough. But that is the world we live in, and that is true. And there are times where people have made those choices, right or wrong. I'm just making, I I want you to understand that. That sometimes uh, evil has to be confronted. Sometimes that is what takes place. And this is one of the most dramatic showdowns in human history of evil being confronted And time and time again, the Pharaoh getting opportunity to relent, and him time and time again, saying no. Unfortunately, the whole world is caught up in this. And I believe God knows that. And I believe, ultimately, God makes those things right. But this is the world we're in. And we can't be naive to the fact that evil has consequences. That evil causes pain. That evil causes destruction. And we, in our own lives, can't be so flippant with this idea of maybe I'll follow God's way or maybe I won't. Because there are dramatic consequences for each of our actions. They cause pain and cause death. We're going to pause and before you go, I want you to, if you, you have a little insert, I want you to flip over and think about a couple of these reflection questions. And Tim is going to come up here and we're going to lead in a closing song. But there are, there is significant things that we have to struggle through in thinking about this painful journey to freedom that the people and the nation of Israel dealt with. And so I want you to kind of think personalize this, and think through how it affects you. Um, You can take a moment and reflect on the first question here. Do you struggle waiting for God to fulfill his promises? How has that struggle materialized in your life? The Israelites, many of them just kind of lost hope, and they dismissed Moses. Uh, They will have more struggles that follow because of their impatience for waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And a second question. Do you view injustice like God does? Because God responds to injustice in a very dramatic ways that we see here in these passages of Scripture. God does not take kindly to people being enslaved for 400 years. And there's different times and eras that we live in, but injustice still exists. And we better be on the side of justice. Are we, or do we allow Or just kind of throw our hands up and say we don't care about the injustice that is going on around us in our world. Take a moment to reflect on those things as Tim leads us in our closing song.